Hello friends, Hero here, at the end of Season 3 and the end of Monstrous Agonies. I am resisting the urge to get mushy and sentimental, not least because this episode is quite long enough already. Instead, here's a quick rundown of the upcoming schedule. I'll be putting up the blooper reel next week on the 14th, and the Q&A will air the week after on the 21st. Depending on how many questions we get, that will likely be in two parts, with the second half going up on Thursday 28th. So be sure to get your questions in. You can get in touch by email, through the website, or via social media. Check the show notes for more information. I'll be recording with Sophie B, and hopefully soon. So please try and get your questions to us by this Saturday, September 9th. I'll be keeping the social media pages updated with information about future plans and projects, so keep an eye on those for any more news. And finally, thank you. All of you. I really couldn't have done this without you. Have a good week, and enjoy the episode. Monstrous Agonies Episode 111 Being in the garden The super attitude It's a Isolated shores Not, in fact, a clan of dueling wizards but a wealthy American family known for their roles in reality television. My apologies for the confusion. It's time now for our advice segment. Before I go on, this feels as good a time as any to thank everyone who has been in touch in the wake of the events that unfolded during last week's segment. The response has been wonderful. I'm particularly pleased to see how many of you have been inspired to begin the long, difficult process of disentangling your lives from the corporation in question. Even more encouraging are those letters which cite last week's incident as motivation for getting stuck in with your local community. There is no better inoculation against the kind of rhetoric spouted by our recent station guest. An hour spent actively building community, or in sincere creative self-expression, is worth weeks, years even, of sitting perfectly still, piously not buying all the right things. Finally, I'm not sure if this is related to the events last week, but I seem to have three letters on my desk this evening rather than our more usual two. They all appear to be legitimate selections for the advice segment, picked out by station and presumably meeting the usual standards. A station who is doing fine, by the way. I know some of you are asking after it. It hasn't communicated quite so directly as last week, but the atmosphere in the studio feels buoyant. The coffee's certainly better than it was. <laughs> anyway, there's nothing for it, I suppose, but to crack on and see what station has in store for us. Tonight's first letter is from a listener feeling conflicted 
about a new pastime. You had a segment last year about role-playing games in the community. Almost exactly a year ago, actually. It was great stuff. I've met loads of people since then who've got into gaming because of it. The guy you talked to, Rowan, uh, he's a mate of mine, actually. We met at a slap weekend a few years ago. Proud to say I've set my ringtone to a clip of him saying, Do I look like a dinty sexy lady to you? (laughs) Anyway, when he was on, he mentioned that some liminal role-playing games can be a bit controversial. And I wanted to pick your brains about that. I've been playing a few recently that have been getting people really het up. I'm a werewolf of the old school. Literally. My pack can trace its heritage back to the 4th century. If people think of the classic, traditional English werewolf, they're probably thinking of us. Not that we care much. We have new members joining all the time from all sorts of backgrounds. I'm just saying it because maybe it's that arrogance of growing up in a tradition, but I've never felt I had to debate what was right and proper werewolf behaviour. I mean, I'm about as proper a werewolf as it's possible to get. (laughs) But lately, I've been getting stick, so to speak, for my interest in a certain type of role-playing game. Specifically, obedience classes, agility courses, that kind of thing. Think crufts, but with much bigger tunnels. You pair up with a handler to take part. I met mine online, a really sweet sapio lad called Simon. I really like him, which is important. Like any game, you want to be sure you're playing with someone who's trying to have the same kind of fun you are. And yeah, most of the teams in these games tend to have a lycanthrope on the end of the lead. But that's not a surprise, any more than it's a surprise you don't see many werewolves getting stuck in with strategy games. We're just not built like that. We like to run around and do what feels good in the moment. And maybe it was that arrogance again. But I've never had to consider whether I was behaving like a werewolf should so I didn't realise that by playing these games, I was stepping into a maelstrom of controversy. Seems like everyone and their nans has an opinion. It's debasing, it's demeaning, it's an insult to our traditions and our culture, it's perpetuating harmful stereotypes, all that stuff. I see where they're coming from. I used to get dog biscuits put in my locker at school. Trust me, I know the stereotypes. But this isn't something someone's doing to me. I'm doing it because I like it. And then you get the people who are up in arms because they think it's a sex thing. Like you couldn't possibly just want to run around for a bit, play fetch, jump through a hula hoop, and get a scritch on the nose and a tummy rub for your troubles. I mean, obviously it can be a sex thing. Quite a fun sex thing, really. I like it when Simon says I'm a good boy. (laughs) Um, But that side of things is kept to specific games, and very clearly advertised as such. 
I don't want to let my community down. I don't want to give bigots and lycanphobes fuel to attack us with. But I'm enjoying myself. It's as simple as that, really. So, am I being selfish? Should I just give it up, pack it in, and go back to pretending to be an accountant? We often talk on this segment about responsibility, asking what, exactly, we owe to one another as members of various communities, whether that's being of one genus, being night folk, or simply being inhabitants of the same time and place. The people who object to these kinds of role-playing games clearly feel you and your fellow players are not living up to your responsibilities as werewolves, or even as people who share the world with werewolves. But what are those responsibilities, exactly? And is it fair of these people to expect you to take them on? There are always going to be people who look at you and only see your genus. They will interpret your actions as emblematic of the genus as a whole, foisting on you the responsibility for representing your genus at all times and in all walks of your life. But that isn't your job. You don't have to represent anyone except yourself, especially not during your personal leisure time. It's true that the association of werewolves and lycanthropes with domestic dogs has been used as a tool of violence and oppression. If Simon were to go about his daily life outside these games, calling lycanthropes to heal, or doling out unsolicited tummy rubs, that would obviously be appalling. But he's not. He's playing a game, and you're playing with him. Even when those games are sexual in nature, provided everyone taking part is fully informed and fully consenting, other people's opinions are simply irrelevant. Bigots don't need us to give them fuel. They don't hate us because of what we do. They hate us because of who we are. Even if we all behaved impeccably and never rocked the boat or stepped out of line, they would hate us. So you may as well be a good boy and enjoy yourself. Brought to you by HauntedSwords.com. Firmly back under old management and back to what we're good at. HauntedSwords.com. They're exactly what you think they are. Proud members of the Night Folk Network. Our second letter comes from a listener struggling to communicate. I was woken latewood of a slap I verily supposed was my endly fine. I had a died gnat as I had hoped, a bed, all a peace and grace and mercy, but in a flushing and a fray quelled by sudden violence in my prime. I yet recall the fight that did me. 
The gnashing teeth, the knees, the blows, the scorching touch of blade upon my ribs. Then, naught. Not peace. Not even stillness. Not at all. Until it come that things were otherwise. I ken not how. I wakened, full much as sudden as I had sayin asleep. I cannot describe what it was. To gan from naught, not murk nor throsing, but naught at all. And then to waken, to flare and flame, to unbe, and then a sudden be. But that I could explit this alteration. I ken not the causer, nor the cause. Though I had no knowing of the cause of my forelife, neither. And perhaps it be not for the common man to thinken on such a things. This world is mickle unlike the world I have for leaven. More quick, more clamorous, more overgorged with folk. The food, the clothes, even the weather is mickly mislikened. Yet all these things I could take in stride. I never was a dullard, and it will take more than a chilly heat wave of Dorito to yet unman me. Save only that I cannot sprecken well. I speak, and it is ununderstandable. Worders here and yonder find their way through the confusion. And I have a learned crumbs and flocks enough that, with gestures and mickle tolerance, I can make myself comprehensible. Happily, I had a learned to read in my forelife, and the letters are not so unlike. I sound them out tentifully, and the meaning comes in drops and gleams. But it is over slow for conversation. I cannot sprecken with anybody. I, I cannot maken of anybody a friend. And it is not only the words. I cannot apprehend the social graces of this world. I was considered most mannerly in my time and dallied with the gentlest of folk. My haver is all out of time. I am now strange at best and downright churless at the worst. I have a founder, some few compassionate folk who will sit with patience and reddle on my speech. And perhaps this is unthankful, but not a one of those folk has made a tendament to learnin' my ways. My speech, that burden, high in charges as it is, they leave all to me. I have never shied from labour. I am here and I am trying. I am full fast aboutward that I shall not be alone. I will learn in these manners and these worders. But is some little, like a tenderman, not owed to me? I have this letter of writing not for your discretion and wisdom only, but your great age. You, I trust, will me understand. 
and your speech is slow and clear, I can more readily follow you. So, I ask your counsel. Are there folk in this new place who will meet me where I am? Itwixt two worlds and stretch out their hands to reach me. My dear listener, I assure you, the answer is yes. Yes, wholeheartedly, yes. There are people in this world who will reach out to you and put in the work you need to become real, trusted friends. The National Liminal Advocacy Agency is a dedicated charity to help liminal people interact with the Sapio world. They'll be able to assist on the practical side of finding your feet here. Your local library will be able to help you get in touch with them. The library will also be able to help with the emotional side of things. Ask them for information about support groups for liminal folk in your area. Unless you live somewhere very remote, the chances are good that there'll be at least a few long-lived individuals who will find your manner of speech no more challenging than slipping into a language they're a little rusty at. You could also seek out the company of scholars and students interested in the time period you lived in. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Try searching the staff and PhD candidates of nearby universities or attending historical reenactment groups. I am sorry that the burden of bridging this communication gap has fallen so squarely on your shoulders. The more people you meet, the more chance you have of finding those people willing to take on some of that burden. Stick with it and take care of yourself. You're not asking too much simply to be accepted as you are. Besides, if you do happen to spend your time with academics and historical reenactors, I think you'll soon find plenty of them struggle with social cues and communication, too. You're listening to the Night Folk Network, the voice of Liminal Britain. Well, nothing out of the ordinary from either of those. So we come to letter number three. This comes from a listener concerned about a co-worker, I think. It's a bit uh, fuzzy. Um, here goes. So, I have this colleague. We've known each other since long before we shared a workplace, and our relationship has taken many forms over the years. We know each other very, very well. But we haven't always seen eye to eye. They can be stubborn and rude, and they have an arrogant streak like you wouldn't believe. They accuse me of egotism, as if they don't have quite as high an opinion of themselves. <laughs> but this isn't about that. Or, well, it is in a way, I suppose. You see, 
Ever since we started working together, we've become friends? Friendly? Friendly, uh, anyway. It's been nice. It's made me remember why we. well, why we used to be close. For a long time, you see, we weren't. We didn't speak. And then we did, and it did not go well. Things came to a head, and it was rather unpleasant on all sides, though I'm sure I was only giving as good as I got. But I never stopped caring for them. We were never nemeses, it was never as formal as that, but they were... They are... My opposite number. Whatever that looks like. Whatever that means. They balance me out. They... And at the time of writing, they are being the most insufferable, block-headed dolt. I joined their workplace as an extra pair of hands to help with a very specific and sustained issue that has only just been resolved. In the time since the issue began, I have seen them work through illness, exhaustion and intolerable levels of stress, under threat for their safety and the safety of those around them, with such flagrant disregard for their own well-being that I am frankly astonished they haven't keeled over live on air. They have this absurd idea of themselves as the centre of this great web of connectivity, the conduit through which our community is built, quite disregarding the fact that a web functions because when one strand breaks, or, say, takes a holiday, the others are there to take the strain. How do I encourage them? kindly, gently, and with great care for their clearly delicate feelings, to get down off their high horse, admit they're exhausted, and give themselves the care they deserve. Um... You're not supposed to be in here when I'm broadcasting. I know. It's a real letter. Station chose it for you to answer. You're obliged to respond. This isn't fair. <laughs> Darling, please. When have I ever played fair? Go on. Answer it. What would you say to this person? I say they were probably right. That their friend is... That they probably, <clears throat> perhaps, m might... Answer it! I tell them it sounds as if their friend has tangled their sense of self-worth up with their job, and they ought to take a step back and... Get some distance. I'd say that... That their friend is probably...
they're tired. The last few years. But they've been difficult for everyone. That's why this work is so important. And only you can do it. Like I said, arrogant. What we've built here, not you, but we, all of us, it isn't going to fall apart because you hand things over to your understudy and spend a month or two falling asleep in the sunshine and cuddling on the chaise long. I don't have a chaise long. No, you don't. And you can't cuddle by yourself, either. I... I don't... What would you tell your listeners, darling? It is an act of kindness to let others take care of you. My God, what a concept! All right, fine, I'll... I'll go. <laughs> Are you will? Oh, can we go to Germany first? It's been an age since I was in Berlin. I thought I was supposed to be resting. Berlin can be restful. And not the way you do it. And we don't have to go right away. We should start with the cuddling. <laughs> you are agreeing to that part too, aren't you? Yes, Mab. I'm agreeing to that too. Oh, yeah! Mm. We're still on the air. Oh, I don't care. Let them listen. Mm, absolutely not. Here, hold on. <laughs> Get... Um, listeners, uh, uh, well, I appear to be taking an impromptu leave of absence. Um, <clears throat> stop it. Uh, I'll just, um, <clears throat> I can leave this on for you while we sort things out with the understudy. She's been rather vocal recently about needing more notice before she steps in to cover me. Uh, I, d I don't really know what to say. You don't have to say anything. I feel like I ought to. Uh, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves and each other. And, um, I'll see you later, I suppose. Oh, eloquent. Shut up. Listeners, I'll leave you with this. Next tonight, we're talking déjà vu. With time existing at once as a closed loop, a rich tapestry, and a depthless void, it can be easy to lose track of one's place. Gender has gone. Submerged in water. <laughs> Episode 111 of Monstrous Agonies was written by H.R. Owen and performed by H.R. Owen and Elizabeth Plant. Tonight's first letter was from a suggestion by Atalan and the second came from Dylan. Thanks, friends. If you've enjoyed Monstrous Agonies, please consider making a pledge at patreon.com slash monstrousagonies or a one-off donation at ko-fi.com slash hroin. You can also help us grow our audience by sharing with your friends and familiars and following us on Tumblr at Monstrous Agonies and on Twitter at Monstrous underscore pod. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. The theme tune is Dakota by Unheard Music Concepts. Thanks for listening, and remember, the real monsters are the friends we made on the way. <laughs>